You can clap for that. Some of you are not sure if you should clap. You should clap. Um, Well, we are in a a brand new series. It is called Epic, and I am very excited about it. It is uh, it's one of those things we were talking about as a staff for a while. We'll go for you know most of the summer, and it's um it's very very cool as we're talking about it. Now, the, the subtitle of the series is Heroes and Villains of the Bible. And, and yes, there are heroes in the Bible, and yes, there are kind of identifiable villains as well. But what I want to kind of really get us our, our heads around here is that there's some subtlety here. Is that every single one of the heroes that you might have heard about, or maybe you don't yet know about the Bible, these are people who more than likely, the most heroic thing they do isn't the one we kind of know about. It's the thing that they do, which is overcoming their own, I guess you could say their own inner villain. That every single person is used by God who has, in, in, the, in the Bible, is a person who is not perfect. We know them by their, by their strengths and by their ability, but there is, there is a story that's behind the story in which God works through people who do not have it all together, who are not quite Superman, who are not quite, they don't have everything all together. It's actually, in so many ways, the subtlety here is that the villain is this, this sort of inner person of the, of the hero that has to be overcome. And all of us, I think, as we talk about the Bible, understand an idea. That we are people who have a great strength that God has given us with, great strength that he's given, great gifts that he's given us, great talents, and yet it is our weaknesses that could be our undoing, and yet still, it is those weaknesses that God uses to accomplish whatever he's going to accomplish. So, very cool stuff. It's going to be a great series. I'm very excited about it. Would you do this? Um, Why don't we pray together? We'll get into today's message, and um, and we'll, we'll get right to it. Jesus, we are aware, just for a moment, we're totally and completely aware that we are not perfect. We know this is a place, Jesus, where people can come who don't have everything together. We understand that this is a room of people who some of us have in our own minds that we're quite heroic, and others of us have in our, in our own minds that we're people who are, um, who are more villainous in nature. And yet, God, you come to each of us, and to the villain you say, how long do you want to continue to go down this path? And to the hero you say, how long do you want to believe in your own independence, in your own strength? Father, just right now as we gather, as we think about what it looks like to consider these things, would you reveal to us in our own heart the content of what's already there? God, would you give us a moment, just as we pause, to consider the strengths and the weaknesses that we already already face? So God, would you give us this moment, just in stillness, for 10 or so seconds of quiet, reveal our own heart. Jesus, it is clear that you have given to us a rescue that is right in our midst from ourselves. Might we seek it, acknowledge it, grab hold of it, that you might do something in us that we didn't think was possible. Might we see you in a new light, holding on to you, Jesus. Your name, amen. Well, as you're, you, I have to tell you okay, a couple of things. First of all, just to put a little disclaimer on this message, we are, we are going to drink from the fire hose today. I'm going to give you so much stuff. So you, I, I've got to cover four chapters of the Bible, and I've got to do it in this, in this amount of time, and you're like, that's impossible. It, it might be. I might not finish. It's really good material, but if you, so just kind of seatbelt on. I don't know if you need a seatbelt to drink from a fire hose, but I think you might. So seatbelt on. Ready? This will be in uh, Judges 
13, 14, 15, and 16. So there you go. That's where we'll be almost all exclusively today. I'm going to go through this, but you got just, so just be ready. I'm going to talk. You're going to go, where is this going? And I will promise, I promise, I promise I will land this plane. But you're going to think, this is, we can't do this. And we can, right? We can do this, right? We can. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Now, as you get in your Bible, if you want to get your Bible in Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, if you want to um, follow along on the screen, great. If you want to pull out your outline, everything you need will be there or on the screen or whatever. So however you need to follow along, do it. Here we go. Um, let me ask you, what's, um, just in your head, you don't have to say this out loud unless you really feel like the need to confess it. That's okay. But uh, what's one thing you did that you just think about in your mind? You go, what's one thing you've ever seen anybody do that you said, they looked at that and said, that looks like a really good idea. You know, like they looked at it, this looks like a brilliant idea. And afterwards, when they used the phrase, yeah, this looked like a good idea when I started down this road. And then, sure enough, it didn't work out. I mean, just think about those things in your life. Like, I'll just give you a couple examples. Anytime you ever, um, you're on, if you, you know, on YouTube, which I realize is, is a dangerous affair sometimes, but you're on YouTube and you happen to search the words treadmill, you're going to find people who think to themselves, it would be a great idea to try to jump on a running treadmill. Like they'll, a treadmill's running and they're going to try and like time it and jump on it. And generally they end up not being able to catch themselves and a face burn. It's just like the treadmill rubbing on their face as they fall off of that. You guys are, it's, un, it's like some of the most joy I have in my life <laughs> to watch this. Now I was going to show you some of those videos and I just have to tell you, I couldn't because someone either screams a swear word in pain or someone else laughing says a swear word. It's just like, but, so just turn your sound down and watch. it is like gold. The other thing is this, the other thing I just feel like people, you know, just other YouTube stuff, my um, other favorite thing to watch is to type in the word rope swing. <laughs> I just have to tell you, just those of you who are grandmothers, your time has come and gone to, to get on the rope swing, okay? Because if you decide to jump on the rope swing, you just have, like, and grandchildren, like high school kids, you got like grandparents that are like, hey, let's try the rope swing. You just have to tell them, Grandma, you can't do that. Because inevitably it will end up on YouTube, I will be laughing. It will be my great joy, but it will be their, their pain. So just grandmas, no more rope swings for you this summer, all right? But those are things that you go, that looks like a good idea. Some of you have had the experience of giving yourself your own haircut. <laughs> I've done that <laughs> yesterday. Uh, but you have this experience where you go, this looked like a good idea at the time. This looked like something to myself. It seemed like a good idea in my own eyes, and I went forward with it. And all of us can point to things both serious and not so serious in our lives. We went, that seemed like a good idea, and it wasn't as good of an idea as we thought. Now, the heroic people in the Bible, turns out, interestingly enough, the best ones are the ones that are most massively flawed. And I actually think as we talk about heroes, the idea of looking at a hero through the lens of their flaw, through their weakness, rather than through their strength, actually makes them more accessible. It gives, them a, gives us a chance actually to enter into their world. And if we were to look at the hero we're going to talk about today, you would say this, the, the number one thing that plagues him is this ability to look at things and go, this looks like a good idea. To me, this seems like a great idea. And inevitably, this is the cause of his, fa his failure. It's the cause of his flaws. It's what he feels more than anything else. It's what people see in that story. Today, we're going to look at a guy named Samson today. Samson's a guy who is, his strengths are widely known. They're legendary strengths. He has stories of tearing a lion in half, like just with his bare hand. I mean, it's just kind of unbelievable stories about this person. But his weaknesses are what make him the most compelling. These are the things that you go, my gosh, that's what I actually, I actually understand that, and I can relate to this idea because his issue is ours too. 
Let me give you some background here. Uh, what's happening in um, just this, biblically what's going on is, um, so there's been Moses who has, you know, taken his people out of captivity in Egypt. They wandered around the desert. Moses hands off his leadership to a guy named Joshua. Joshua leads them into this promised land. And uh, now there's a period between Joshua and the first uh, of Israel's kings, a period known as, it's just this period of judges, where what would happen is um, God's people have this pattern. What they do is they, uh, they, they live in a, period, time of, a time of peace, and then they start realizing, they start thinking, I can have a little permission for myself, and they do a little bit of rebellion. This is on your outline, by the way. And then um, they, they have a little bit of rebellion, and then what happens is generally that rebellion means that they are serving, following, enjoying the foreign gods that they're around and kind of liking all of that stuff. And God kind of goes, hey, if you like that, let those gods protect you. Inevitably, what happens after that is a foreign invasion. Then those people all go, wait a second, this, isn't, this is lame, we hate this. They cry out to God, God help us, we want to be with you, we're sorry, we're, we want to turn away from these things. And God says, okay, and, the way, and then he rescues his people and he sends a person called the judge. It's not a judge like you and I think of like just, you know, just the law, this is a person who's rescuing his own people. That's the pattern. Peace, rebellion, for, foreign invasion, a cry out for help, and then a judge comes to rescue. And the, the, in this case, we pick up this judge named Samson. But here's the background. Here we go. Judges 13, verse 1 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There's a rebellion. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Philistines are famously the people who oppose Israel for a very long time. You know, uh, you have... Uh, uh, the most famous of them is Goliath. You have, you know, really the, the work that was supposed to be done in conquering the Philistines isn't done until David many, many, many years later. And here are these people who are over and conquering uh, the Israelites or the, the Israelite people. And there's a judge that's kind of mentioned in, in chapter 13. He's born uh, to these, uh, in their, under kind of unique circumstances, as you find in a lot of the Bible. You have people who are born in ways in which mom and dad can't get pregnant, and then all of a sudden, God somehow visits them, and they have a baby. It's kind of a theme, right? They have this baby, and they name him Samson. Samson takes what's called a Nazarite vow. This, again, fire hose, stay with me. Nazarite vow. And what it means is this. He'll never cut his hair, which is, will be the source of his power. He will, um, he will never drink alcohol of any kind, and he will never touch a dead thing. That's, that's like, that's the really rough version of what this is. But these are people set apart for God's purposes, and that's Samson. He takes a Nazarite vow. Now, as I said, his strengths are legendary. He's killed thousands of people. He's done all these things, but so are his weaknesses. And here is his weakness, chapter 14, verse 1. It says this. Samson went down to Timnah uh, and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, well, by the way, I should say, remember, the Philistines and the Israelites, they're not on the same page. Israel and Philistine, Philistine, they're not like, we don't hang out together. That's kind of the deal. So he sees there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Now, they try to guide him. Like, hey, you know, this isn't really what we do. That's not how this works. You don't get to kind of find someone like that. And he says this, verse 3. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, in other translations, what this basically what it says, I'll just give you a couple different translations of that exact verse. Get her for me because she is pleasing to me. She is pleasing to my eyes. She is right in my eyes. She's the one that I want. What Samson says is, this looks like a good idea to me. I've seen her. She's so beautiful. She's the one I want. She seems right in my eyes. She looks good to me, mom and dad. 
I know that we're not really, we're not doing, but that is, she is so beautiful. She looks good in my eye. What Samson begins to do, maybe you can kind of connect with this idea. He sees something that is forbidden, and he says to himself, I know that's not kind of what we do, but I give myself a little bit of permission to have that, whatever it is, whatever it might be. You see, Samson's great weakness is that he relies only on his own counsel and his own, whatever looks good to him in his own eyes. And he says, I give myself a little permission to kind of go down that road. It doesn't really matter if I do. You know, in, in so many words, Samson has his own cycle. Here's Samson's cycle. Three times he meets women in, in the course of these, of these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. He meets three women. One of them, you know, and here's the basic cycle. This is the first woman he meets. It's that Samson sees the object of his desire, and he goes, I want that thing, and he begins to take whatever it might be. See if you can connect to this. Whatever the object of his desire is, he goes after and gives himself permission to get. Immediately thereafter, he's duped, tricked, exposed, humiliated in some way or another. You have this some kind of deceit and humiliation that he kind of experiences around this person. Or in his case, his object of his desire is women. Then he has a reaction in anger, kind of this legendary anger, and then he causes himself and other people to suffer great pain. It happens three times in his story. I see what I want. I am tricked by that thing that I want because it's giving me nothing but half-truths and empty promises. And then I am, I am enduring the deceit of all that kind of stuff. I'm enduring the deceit and humiliation. I feel the pain and anger, and then I suffer or I cause other people to suffer. That is his own story. How many of us can relate to that exact same cycle? Someone raised their hand boldly. Thank you. I won't say your name, Megan, out loud, but it was really great that you said that. Um, yesterday, I was at with a bunch of uh, our family friends. We're at this outdoor concert. <laughs> it was really funny. It was the, the concert was um, a Rod Stewart cover band. It was terrible. <laughs> but that wasn't why we were there. We're there. All the families are there. We have everybody. It was kind of like, you know, bring all your food. We'll all kind of empty our refrigerator, do whatever. And we'll, we'll all of our kids, well, between the group of us, there's like 25 kids. It's just, it's insane how many kids run around. But we're all out there and people are bringing food. And of course, all of, all of, all of our wives, all of the guys' wives are all looking at the husbands going, you know, you need more like healthy stuff in your diet. So there's giant bowls of like kale salad. And we're all like, what are the kids having? You know, and so of course the kids tray comes out. It's taquitos, and it's like little corn doglets, and it's like uh, little compressed molded dinosaur chicken nugget things. And it's like these are this is awesome. You can have your kale. And so I, I eat a little kale and or whatever. And this is delicious. Uh, can I have some of those corn doglets? I'm kind of doing this kind of thing. And someone brings out for the kids. They bring out the newest addition, the newest addition to the family of Oreos. Oh. It's a Reese's peanut butter cup Oreo. So it's an Oreo, but instead of the like white frosting in there, it's like chocolate and the Reese's peanut butter in there. Dude. Dude, two dudes, dude. Okay? It is it is unbelievable. And I re- I'm having a flashback as these are coming out and I'm like I had some kale salad. And I'm looking at these and I'm like these are these look good. These these look pleasing to my eyes. These are a delight to my own eyes. And I remember being like 17 years old. Some of our high school students remember this. I, I, I remember being like 17 years old and eating a whole sleeve of Oreos and drinking a quart of milk and then running. I mean, like doing, like tackling things or jumping over stuff and feeling like a million bucks. And I'm like, I feel like, you know, I, 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 I had some kale. I feel like I'm probably impervious to whatever bad decisions about to happen. And sure enough, I eat like, you know, I'll take two or four, 
eight or ten. And I'm just going to put those there for like, and I'm just like, these are so good. I, I'm, these, are, these look good. They're pleasing to my eye. And, I rem- and I'm like having this feeling of, with all these other dads, like, this is awesome. Isn't this great? And thinking to myself, this is great. I can handle this. I'm fine. And within minutes, I feel like I got shot by like a, like a bear tranquilizer. So I'm like, <laughs> hey, you guys, everybody, slow down. I mean, I just is like, everything is just... How come you guys look so weird? I mean, it's like that kind of thing's happening. And, I'm just, and, and all night I'm paying for that decision because I went, hey, it looks so good. And I can, I can, I'm, I'm fine. I can handle this. I'm good. I deserve these because I had the kale. I am so, these look good to me and I should have them. Now, this is the truth in my life about so many things. It's the truth in my life about things that happen. Maybe you can connect to this idea. There are times in my life where I feel like as I'm wrestling with certain things, There are things that I might choose to dabble in that I know are just me giving myself permission. When I look at my life, I go, well, you know, most of it's pretty, I mean, it's not perfect, but there's a lot in there that's pretty good, and, you know, I probably should have a little bit of whatever I'm not supposed to have. I think of things like even even the, the delicious taste of anger in my life sometimes. It gives to me this half-truth, this deceptive promise that says if you could just react in a little, you could power up, and you could kind of use the big voice and kind of intimidate your own children. Won't that be great? Now, it, right now I'm going, of course not, that's a terrible, but in the moment I'm like, it just, it's right there, and the anger is right there, and I want it, and so I just run down that road, and I watch my kids go, I'm, a, I'm like afraid, Dad, I'm afraid of you. And I'm going, oh, I went, but it seemed so good to me, and it seemed like I deserved it. I mean, for you, as you're in your business, you've done a great job, you've worked really hard, there's a few corners that could be cut because you've already done so well and done such a great job, maybe you just get a little bit of permission to go down that road, take a few things for yourself. Maybe in a relationship, there's things that you go, yeah, we're trying to get after what it looks like to follow what God says about these kind of things regarding purity or whatever else, and we want to pursue these things, but we've been good about everything else, why can't we just be a little bit, why can't we just go down this road a little bit further? It's not that big a deal, and look at the rest of the world. We're way better off than them. Does it really matter? Is it really a big deal? Because it looks so good to us in our own eyes. See, there is this kind of cycle we all go in, which is the seeking an object of our desire. Believing the half-truths and the sort of empty promises that it gives to us, we find ourselves humiliated, exposed, and tricked, and duped, and then we react in anger. And sometimes we cause great pain for ourselves and other people. You know, this is something we all do. It's we, all, we all bite on this at some point or another. We all have this temptation. In fact, it's the first thing we see in the Bible. It's not in your outline, but I put it on, on the screen. I want you to see this. This is right after, um, wow, my hair's short. Um, right after, forgot about that. Right, right after you have this, here you go, this, the serpent is tempting Adam and Eve. And here's what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It was pleasing to the eye. The issue isn't that it's fruit. It's that it's pleasing to the eye. They had everything they could have possibly wanted, and there's this other thing that's pleasing to the eye. In other words, it looked good to her. We live lives in which we look at our own life and we go, there's so many things that look so good to us. I want some of those things. Shouldn't I have those things? Samson is no different. And yet, he's regarded as a hero. 
Now, Samson, being deceived by this woman, this Philistine woman, he reacts in anger. In fact, what's crazy, you should read this story. With, it's, you really should read the story. He, react, she, he reacts in anger because on his wedding day, his wedding celebration, her father gives her to be married to one of the wedding party. Like, oh, yeah, Samson, when he kind of did something, and so you can now be married to his, like, one of his like, groomsmen, basically. So he's a little angry, right? So here's what Samson does. He runs out into the, he, he captures 300 foxes, which I don't know how you do that. So he must also be fast because he's strong, long hair, you know, and he runs out there to capture the foxes, ties them in pairs, their tails together, and attaches torches to the tails and sends them to the Philistine wheat fields and burns their fields. Now the Philistines are a little bit upset about this. And they're like, wait a second, this isn't how this is supposed to go. We're, hey, we're all, aren't we, we're, you're getting married, and now you're, so they start, they start pulling an army together. And here's what kind of happens. This is chapter 15, verse 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he, had done, as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? So 1,000 guys from Phil, you know, uh, Philistia are, are right there. They're gathered up. They're going to they're gonna battle. And 3,000 guys from Judah, you know, God's guys, they come up to Samson and say, why are, they, why, are they, why are all these soldiers here going to fight us? What did you do? And Samson's like, well, I captured 300 foxes. <laughs> I know, it's kind of awesome. Uh, and I, I attached torches and I burned their fields. Now what I want you to catch is this. What's really important here. The Philistines rule over us. Now let me just really quickly pause for a second. Who is supposed to rule over God's people? If you don't know, remember, generally the answer is just God. You can just guess. and not God God's supposed to rule over his people. And the representative of God, in, in, you know, which was Joshua and Moses before him, and eventually will be a king again, or a prophet in some capacity or another. In the absence of that, the people just start deciding on who should rule them. And the people who should, they should rule, they should govern over themselves with God as their supreme authority. That's how it's supposed to look like. And what they say to Samson is, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? They aren't saying, we're under the oppressive rule, we need God's rescue. What they say is, the Philistines rule over us, and you're going to mess it up. And the way the Philistines ruled, now we know them as being people like Goliath. You Maybe you've heard of Goliath before. But you know them as being people who are warriors. You have a thousand of them lined up here who are going to fight. But one of the things that they do, one of the strategies they, strategies they employ is this. They will get close to whomever they're around. They will encourage intermarrying. They will encourage a kind of cultural absorption into the Philistine way of life. They'll encourage all of these kinds of things. Hey, our God's not that different than your God. You know, just come be with our families and kind of intermingle and so that the fighting will no longer be necessary. They're trying to slowly erode these people such that they don't even fight anymore. And they're somehow or another so caught up that what the Philistines have given them is pleasing to their eyes. And they go, this seems, this seems pretty good. What's being indicated here is that God's people have given up the fight. Don't you know the Philistines rule over us? Why are you trying to make it hard for us? They're now the boss. God's not. You're not. The Philistines are. And there's this incredibly tragic thing here. 
Because when you capture between all of chapter 13 to chapter 16 of the book of Judges, the Israelites break their cycle. Remember that their cycle is this. We have a time of peace. There is a, a, an act of rebellion, foreign invasion, and then there's a crying out to God, and then God's rescuer comes in the form of a judge. The, what's the missing in, this, in these chapters is the people of Israel never once cry out. They don't cry out. They're, the Philistines have conquered them, and they say, the Philistines rule over us. We don't even need to be rescued. We're kind of okay with this. We've seen it, and it's pleasing to our eye, and it looks good to us, and this must then be a good idea. Now, you should read chapter 15. It's, it's cool. I mean, you know, if you're like, the Bible's boring. This is like some of the coolest stuff ever. But what happens next is Samson says, okay, turn me over. But tie, my, tie up my hands. Don't kill me. Just tie me up and I'll go over there. And basically what he does is he like kind of essentially Trojan horses himself. He walks into the camp and kills a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> now sometime later, so he gets this kind of revenge against, you know, he's kind of taking out against these people. What they're, you know, these, these, the Philistines are not supposed to rule. Now sometime later, he meets the third woman in our drama of, of, of Samson. Uh, her name is Delilah. You may have heard of her before. Now, Samson figure, it's Delilah figures out that De, um, Delilah, or Samson doesn't figure out. Delilah figures out the, the power, where his power comes from, which is his hair. And the way that it says is actually very funny. The way the Bible describes it in verse 16 of chapter, uh, of, of chapter 16, 15, uh, is that, or chapter 16. What she says is, what the Bible says is that she nagged him to death. <laughs> The men laughed a little bit. The women, eh, not so sure. But she, so here's his wife, and she nags him to death until he literally, three times she asks him, and finally he's like, all right, fine. Here's, I get my power from my hair. So she lulls him to sleep. Another guy, Philistine, comes in, shaves his head, and now all of a sudden he's got no more power. And he's turned over to the Philistines, and here's what happens in verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. And then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. Now consider for a moment the irony of what's happening. The whole story of Samson, in fact, even the whole story of the Bible, but more specifically Samson is how he sees things and determines that they're good for his own eyes. And the Philistines seize him and they gouge out his eyes so he can no longer see. What has captured him for, for the whole story of his life has been this, I get what I want, I'm strong and powerful, and I have awesome hair, Fabio, whatever. I can get whatever I want, and I can take it because it looks good to me. And now all of a sudden, because he can't see, something else is about to happen. The story is about to turn to a different page. Here's what goes on. So they gouge out his eyes. Uh, verse 21. Uh, then the Philistines gouging out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, and they sent him to grind grain in the prison. So you can imagine like how, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, like a big stone with an arm attached to it. Usually it's attached to a donkey. And they put the grain in the, in the mill, and then the, you know, the donkey would walk around in a circle. Essentially he's being given, he's blind, and he's been given this work to walk around in a circle forever and ever, grinding grain. Humiliated, trapped, deceived. He saw the object of his desire. He was duped, tricked. And now he's humiliated, he's bald, he's blind, and he's stuck there walking in a circle forever and ever. And the Bible gives us this one verse. It gives us this one verse that says, it's not over. It's not 
over. The story looks like it concludes here. It looks like all hope is lost. We see Israel ready to just go ahead and become buddies with the Philistines. And there's like this one verse that you just go, wait a second, because now there's this blind, bald, humiliated guy. Verse 22, it's very short. Here's what it says. But the hair on his head, source of his power, began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's all it says. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So he's been humiliated. He's been lost. Everything's kind of, everything that he knew as powerful has been lost. He can't even see. He can't claim things as his own. He walks around in a circle in a circle, and every day his hair grows. Hope. God's going to do something here is what's being said. Now the question you all have is this. What does God do with people who don't even want a rescue. They need it, but what does he do with people who don't even want a rescue? What does he do with those people? Verse 25 says this. While they were high in spirits, they shouted. So remember, they're now with all of the, um, the, the Philistine rulers talking. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, because he can't see, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I might lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. So all of these people, the ruling elite, everybody who's in power over the Philistines is in this arena mocking Samson. And they say, bring him out, let him entertain us, let him do some dances, let him do whatever he's going to do. We want to see Samson kind of do his thing. And they bring him out. Now this is what's kind of crazy here. So here's what Samson does, verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Samson does for himself and for his own people what they were unwilling to do for themselves. He cries out. And his motive isn't even that pure. Look at this. It's not pure at all. Strengthen me just once more and let me get one, let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. His motive isn't even pure. It's not like, let me just do your work. Now at the end of my life, I now, the, the, the total poetic sort of thing would have been my eyes are cut out and now I can totally see you. Whatever. No. Just give me the strength once more so I can beat them down because they took my eyes. That's all it is. And what happens then is that, well, here's verse 29. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. And thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. What does God do for his own people when they don't even want to rescue? He rescues them anyway. He still sends a rescuer. He still sends a rescuer. He sends a broken, flawed, self-absorbed, self-permission-giving judge to bring that, to, to rescue his own people. What does God do with people who don't want to rescue? He sends a rescuer. Biblical historians will tell us, looking at this story, that while these people don't cry out and all this kind of, if there is no Samson, then what you actually have 
is the complete vanishing of God's people because they'll just absorb into Philistine, into the Philistine way of life. If there's no Samson, the people just disappear. You see, God is at work through flawed people who have all kinds of brokenness to accomplish his purposes, and God still sends a rescue even when people don't want it. The most famous example of that is Jesus. The very beginning of the gospel of the book of John, you have the account, this, we read this at, at Christmas a lot, you have this account of Jesus coming into the world. And here's the way it's written in John chapter 1, verse 9. It's on your outline. You can check it out here is what it says. The true light, meaning Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, meaning he came to his own people to rescue him. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In other words, there is a rescue. There's a rescue that God intends to give to the world. He has already given it. It is one in which people who are broken and flawed, who have, a, who have lives that are equal parts or maybe unequal parts of secret things that are actually their, un, their, their undoing and some strengths, and he says, I am here to bring about your rescue. Even if you didn't ask for it, even if you didn't want it, some of you were brought here by friends, some of you have been coming for a little while, kind of investigating stuff. Are these people for real? Are they normal people? Do they think they're perfect? <laughs> Heck no. I cut my own hair for goodness sakes. Okay. But you're wondering what it's like to be here, and there is, and you're going, I'm not sure about Jesus. I don't really get it. And let me just give you what's happening here. God comes to people and gives to them a rescue, even if they don't want it. And what he says is, why don't you grab hold of it? We look at our own lives. We talk about the sort of inventorying of our own soul, and we go, my gosh, there's lots of things in my life that I have given myself permission for that are actually damaging my life. And I don't want to, I mean, I... I look at the Bible, and I look at what I'm told, and I understand these things, but I just give myself permission anyways, and it just, just feels right, and it looks good to us. And we are being deceived by half-truths and empty promises and trying to convince ourselves that this is the right and good and beautiful way to live. And at some point, those things, for a lot of us, have the story where we go, I'm done living in the emptiness. I'm tired of how humiliating it's been. I want to believe this is going to work out because this feels right for a pretty short amount of time, but then I end up feeling like I'm pretty lonely and lost. And God says, I have already sent to you a rescuer. Do you want it? Do you want it? I think that the greatest learnings from these heroes, like I said before, isn't in their strength. It's not how to be strong. It's about what they do that's so incredibly normal. That we go, that's... That's how, I'm not, I'm, I can be a normal person. I can't be a superhero, but I can be normal. Let me just ask you. In your life, where are the things that you are giving yourself permission to have that are pleasing to your eye, that are a delight in your own eye, that look so really great and wonderful that you go, these aren't that big of a deal and it doesn't really matter, but I allow them to be in my life. What are they? Is it, as I talk to people, is it, you know, sometimes get this, this phrase gets used every so often. Well, I, 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 I dabble a little, dabble in a little porn. It's not like, I don't have an addiction. I just kind of dabble in it. Just, it's like, it's like every so often. That's permission. Is it, for some of you, is it a way that you might talk about 
or manipulate your own friends, the people that are around you that you go, it doesn't really, I mean, we all know that I'm just saying this to you, or, you know, generally the, the cover, if anybody ever says something like this, they say something like this, I, I, usually, I, I don't really talk bad about people, but the next thing they're going to say is incredibly, it's going to be the bad thing they say about people that they just tried to give themselves a cover, that's permission. Or, I really love this person, or, you know, in church world, we say, I love their heart, you know, but, and the next thing you then say is something incredibly offensive about that person. That's permission. Are there things in your own, we talked about this before, in your own family that are secrets, things that you've kept buried, things that you know aren't, that need to be talked about or addressed, you need to get help for those things, you know, we're a church that's not afraid of sending people to counseling, you know, I talked to you guys before, my, my own you know, Amanda and I go to counseling periodically and things are, I mean, those are, we're, not, we're not opposed to that. You need to go talk to someone who can help you unpack some things that are in your past. Where you just go, it doesn't really matter. It's not affecting me that much. It's not a big deal. I can just kind of push that down. It doesn't matter. That's permission for things that seem good. And what seems good sometimes to a lot of us, especially guys, is going, you know, I'm tough. I can handle it. I can, I, I can take care of these things. That's permission. What is it in your life that you go, man, I've been giving myself permission for things that look really good? Regardless of your own understanding or relationship with Jesus, every one of us gives ourselves permission to things, to have things that ought not to be there. What are they? What are they in your life? How much longer can you live with the truth or the half-truth of those things? Secondly, what does it look like to take hold of the rescue God has already in your midst? What does that look like? God has given to you a rescuer. A lot of us look at the rescuer, and even in moments of my own life as a person who follows Jesus, who teaches about Jesus, as a person in my own life, I just go, you know what, God has rescued me once, but he continues to rescue me from my own life over and over and over again, whatever my choices are, and I still continue to say to him, I I don't feel it, I got it. I got this one, I got it, I don't need you. I got it. Not that... It's not that big a deal. For most of us, it comes to crisis. is generally the time when we go, we actually start that cry. That cycle's the same for us. We have a little bit of peace. We are, we're in Israel's cycle. Have a little bit of peace. Have a little bit of rebellion. Feel the presence of things that are not what we intended to be in our midst, and then we cry out saying, will you please rescue us? And then we find our rescuer. Generally, we wait till there's a lot of pain. How long do you want to wait? How long do you want to wait until God, until you, you just take hold of the rescue that God has already given to you in your midst? How much longer can you live in that cycle? Why don't you close your eyes? Let's pray. Jesus, there is so much in our world that is pleasing to our eyes. We've seen it. We experience it. The world is good at marketing things to us to become pleasing to our own eyes. Some of these things are cultural. Some of these things can be bought. Some of these things are merely absorbed. Father, we live in a world in which there is so much that is pleasing to our eyes. And we give ourselves permission, Lord. We give ourselves access to things that could destroy us, that could cause pain and suffering for our families. And we look at him and go, this is, this is fine. Jesus, we don't want to live like that. We call it freedom, but it's actually being trapped. It's actually slavery. Father, we want true freedom that comes from you.
And that only comes because you could rescue us. Father, we know what it is to be trapped. Why don't you give us the experience of knowing what it means to be free? Lord, would you give us not what is just pleasing in our own opinion, but would you give us what is right and good in your eyes, that we might see those things and pursue them? Father, as people are sitting in this room, some of them are trapped in a cycle that needs to be broken. It can be only broken by your power. And so, Father, as people maybe choose to come forward to receive prayer, a prayer team would pray over them, prayers of bold prayers. Father, would you give them freedom that they've never known? And the rest of us, Father, as we respond in singing, would you hear our voices? Would our words be a prayer to you, a prayer about your power over the things that have ruled over us, that you might set us free from them? The things that look so good, might they be exposed for what they really are? And might we grab hold of the truth of your great love, Jesus. So hear our songs, hear our prayer, as we respond to you, Jesus. In your name, amen.